welcome to Ridiculously Imperfect. I'm Emily. And I'm Kelsey. And we are here to share life stories while embracing our imperfections. Each episode, we dig deep into the highs and lows of life, tackling topics with authenticity and humor. Our stories are meant to be told, not buried. Join us in being ridiculously imperfect. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ridiculously Imperfect. We're so excited. <laughs> Are you guys here? I'm here. Kelsey is here. <laughs> um, we just want to take a moment to say thank you so much to everyone who has been giving us a listen, subscribing, rating us. We have a five-star review on Apple right now. Yay! As of middle of November, it's very exciting. So thank you guys. We could not be... Uh, more happy with the results of just the feedback we're getting and getting a chance to share our stories and then hopefully other people's stories. And it's just been, it's been a fun journey so far. It's very fun. And building confidence, like, I didn't, I mean, I knew what a podcast was, but like, (laughs) guys, I don't know much of any, well, you already are kind of figuring that out, but this is all new to me. And so, yeah, it's been an awesome start an adventure and we're so excited for you to be along with us on this journey and to see where it goes yes so please continue giving us a listen and share with your friends and communicate with us like we said from the start we want this to be for everyone and we can communicate back with you and have those conversations if we hear from you so please reach out to us and continue listening and just thank you so now we can move into the the fun part of our conversation today so um, when we first started talking about the idea of having guests on, um, of course, we had our husbands first because we would never hear the end of it if we <laughs> didn't bring them on first. Um, but Emily and I both had the same name came up and it was Sarah. Yep. And so we're so excited for Sarah to be with us today in our podcast room. Yes, thank you. And so without further ado, I'll let her do her own introduction so I don't mess it up. But we're so <laughs> excited. We know you guys are going to fall in love with her as much as we love her as a friend um, and the pastor of our church at Hope Chapel. And so I'll let you uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I feel so honored that I'd be one of the first people you'd want to have on. Um, And even as we started, I just said, it's like getting to sit down and talk with a couple of really great friends. So I love you both and think so highly of you. So, so excited that I get to take part in this awesome podcast. But yeah, my name is Sarah Zaski, um, and I serve as a pastor at a church called Hope Chapel. Um, But long before I ended up in Kansas City and here at this church and got to meet Emily and Kelsey, um, my story started back in the Midwest, and that is where I met my husband. We've been married 19 years. His name is Jake. And so we have grown up together. We got married as babies, and next year we're looking forward to celebrating that 20th anniversary. We have. I know. I can't believe I'm not that old. How old were you? you real quick how old I were you 19, 19. <laughs> and he was Baby. 22 wow yeah babies babies <laughs> babies you know some people say oh it's harder to get married young or harder to get married old but I think it's easier to get married young because you're not setting your ways you just grow up together that's and you true. change yeah. together that's and that's what point. we did yeah. that's what we did so um saying that I I threatened him I'm like, we cannot tell our children how young we were when we got married, because <laughs> if they do the math and they try and pull that, like, no, it's not happening. <laughs> Unfortunately, my children have done the math, and they now know how young I was. And I'm like, listen, times were different then. It was a, a unique set of <laughs> circumstances. You're not allowed to get married that young. You need to finish college first. But <laughs> So all that to say, I have two kids. My daughter, Grace, is eight, and then I have a 14-year-old son, Caleb, who just got her driver's permit. So that's a whole new world. And we have served in ministry together since we were young, both as teenagers really um, felt called into that. And so ministry has taken us from the Midwest to England, where we lived for a few years working at a church there. Church planting and starting new churches is just something we wanted to do is let's put a local church community in a neighborhood that maybe doesn't have one. Um, It brings a lot of good in the community um, itself. And so we moved to California to help with a brand new church there. And then we did the same thing in New York City, where we lived for nine years. And it was about four years ago where we moved to Kansas City to pastor this church that's called Hope Chapel. So we kind of joke that we went all the way around the world to come back home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're so glad you did. Yes, we are. It's been such a treat and honor to have you guys 
come and lead us and yeah. and become our friends aside yeah, from that. So absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We're just so excited to have you here today. Thank you. So when we reached out to you and did what we could to see like, hey, Sarah, we we know you'd be a great guest. Number one, are you willing? <laughs> but <laughs> To talk? I'm always willing to talk. <laughs> but we just wanted to, you know, throw that out to you of like, what would resonate with you as far as a story you'd want to share? Because we're called Ridiculously Imperfect and Kelsey and I, we are the Hot Mess Express friends. <laughs> we are just authentically being ourselves and it's... This is what it is. So anyway, all of mm-hmm. that to say, whenever mm-hmm. I reached out to you, I just, I loved your response. And so I wanted you yeah. to share a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, my response was, is that I love the name of the podcast because imperfect, honestly, is something that I've strived for because I have dealt with perfectionism my whole life. So I often joke that I am in recovery, that I'm a recovering perfectionist because I've always dealt with that throughout the course of my life. Um, I don't think I realized it. As I at the time when I was a child, but the more I've done my internal work uh, as an adult, I, I really was able to trace back and see how that's kind of been with me my whole life and how perfectionism hasn't always been helpful. Um, I've also run into a lot of recovering perfectionists and current perfectionists as well. Um, and so I know I'm not alone in that. Awesome. So what made you first, like, do you remember a, an early on childhood memory that caused you to strive for perfection? Did something specific happen that you were like, I need to be perfect. I need to do whatever this looks like. Yeah. So, okay. My earliest memory is in third grade. And I remember I got my spelling test back. So I bring it home and I got one wrong. I still got an A. Like it was fine. You would think I would move on and be really happy and go play outside. But I was distraught that I missed a word that I knew how to spell. And so I came up with this really devious plan Um, I did my spelling test in pencil, so I went into my room, and I erased where the red pen was, where I had misspelled the word, and I wrote in the correct spelling. And then I go to my dad, and I was like, Dad, my teacher clearly does not know how to grade papers, Um, because look, I spelled the word right. And of course, my dad, you know, being the typical parent, like, my child's always right. And he said, Sarah, you're right. You did spell that word right. And she marked it wrong. And that's terrible. So he writes a letter and sends me back to school. You got this wrong, teacher. And and so then after class, I remember the teacher saying, you need to stay behind. We need to talk. And I was like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. And she just looks at me and she's like, Sarah, you know what you did. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> she knew. Like, you could see the eraser marks. I was not subtle. Um, and so uh, I finally broke down. and was like, I'm so sorry. And then I was overwhelmed thinking I was going to get in trouble. And she showed me nothing but grace. Um, but very clearly was like, hey, please don't do that again. And so I didn't realize it at the time. But I'm like, there's something there, right? That you got an A on a test. And you missed one and you felt like that wasn't good enough, that you had to take matters into your own hands. Like there's something there. Mm -hmm. And I think that followed me through. Like now that I'm able to reflect, I look back on, you know, the teenage years and I look at, you know, the rooms I, the invitations I declined because, you know, should I be in that room and will people accept me or the sports teams I didn't try out for all the things I didn't do that I'm now able to look back on. And it's because I was afraid of failure. Like, what if I wasn't good enough? Mm. And and I think that followed me into my adulthood as well. And I remember this moment of reconciliation. I was in grad school and I was drowning. We were planting a new church and starting it. I had a job outside of the church. I was working in corporate America. I was doing graduate school to become a counselor. I had young kids at home and trying to balance and juggle it all. And and like the plates that I had been spinning seamlessly so perfectly, but not behind the scenes, um, just were dropping. And I remember my friend looking at me and, and she asked me, Sarah, what are your grades? And I was like, well, I have a 4.0 GPA and I need to keep that up. And she's like, you absolutely do not. Like, what is passing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, a C? She's like, do that. And I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I get A's. <laughs> she goes, no, you need to make imperfection your goal. You need to make it your goal to not get an A, to do something you've never done before. And it, in that conversation really changed my life. And I began to make it my goal to not be perfect. And, and it, it changed everything. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to make five edits on the paper. I'm going to do one next, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that was just a letting go moment for me. 
Um, but I think things really came to a head when my parents were cleaning out my childhood home and they found my kindergarten report card. And I read the notes from my teacher and she actually called me, quote, her little perfectionist. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so like I began to put all these stories together and realized, wow, I I really think I I, I struggle in this area. Like I, I really need to get to the root of what is going on on the inside of me that I feel like I have to have it together all the time. Because clearly I don't. Clearly people aren't expecting that of me. But I'm expecting that of myself when other people aren't. What What's that all about? And that's the work that I had to do. So do you feel like you're, when you came home with that report card, not report card, it was the spelling test. Yeah. <laughs> Were you, did you ever feel like my parents expect perfection or you just you just feel like that happened with you? Because I, you know, that story was amazing. And thank you for sharing. But, you know, was there ever... Did you internalize that? Because I feel like in my childhood, I wasn't necessarily told, I, you, you need to do A's mm-hmm. or you need to get A's. Yeah. But I, I always just felt like I had to, but there was mm-hmm. never a conversation about it. So I'm curious mm-hmm. if you were similar to me in that yeah. way or if there was something that was said. And I don't know. Maybe I just always wanted to be the favorite child. So I tried <laughs> to get really good grades. Sorry to my siblings. But uh, I don't I don't know. And so I've never yeah. really dug deep in that. And I'm just very curious with all of your counseling background that you have yeah. and your self-reflection. Like, what does that look like? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. So, you know, every behavior, there's a little bit of nature and a little bit of nurture. And so for me, I think it's just my nature. Like I have this personality that was born to want to do well, be excellent, bring my best to things. I care about details. I think I was just born that way. And I I now realize that a little bit more that I'm raising my little girl because I see some of those tendencies in her. And I'm constantly saying, let it go. It's okay. And I'm watching her be harder on herself than anybody else's around her. And I think that's really what made me look back on my experience and be like, okay, a lot of that a lot of that was just nature. But there was a nurturing element to that. Not that anybody was like, you have to get A's. No one ever said that to me. Mm-hmm. But I think I did notice like, oh, I get a little bit more praise when I do perfect. Mm-hmm. I get maybe a little bit more love when I do perfect. And that was no one's intention. Right. But I noticed there's a little bit more of a reward when I am who I think you want me to be. And... Mm-hmm. And I think I play into that time and time and time again. It can create that perfectionistic attitude of I, I want to be who I think you want me to be instead of really being who I'm called to be. Yeah. Ooh, that's deep stuff. And I feel like that res- just what she talked about resonates with you. And yeah. That's why I was that- like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, just your body language was like you were just like taking it all in and – because yeah. I know, like, raising daughters, we all mm-hmm. three have daughters in this yeah. room. And that's and been... I am a perfectionist, and my husband is a perfectionist times 10. Mm-hmm. And so our struggle daily mm-hmm. is me watching this. Yeah. Which then you internalize, and what did I do wrong? What am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's been a really big struggle for her, mm-hmm. and it's really hard yeah. to watch. So I love that we're talking about this, because... Um, some of us are just wired that mm-hmm. way. And so I think it does take conversation of how do we break it? Yeah. And how do we realize that it's okay mm-hmm. to be imperfect? Imperfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you started on that journey, you had mm-hmm. that conversation with that friend. Mm-hmm. How did that journey of kind of changing to just doing one edit? Yeah. Ooh, Instead, yeah. how did that kind of unfold? Yeah. Through your life? So at that time in my life, I, w- I mentioned I was in grad school. So while I'm a pastor, my master's degree is in mental health counseling. So I was actually in school at the time, and I forget what class I was taking, but there was this side lecture that was just like this random handout that my professor gave me that was said at the top, it said, the rules of shame. And I was like, what is this? And he began to describe about how in life, you know, we all deal with shame. And if you think about an actor in a play, um, how they put on a mask or a costume to cover up who they really are so that they can play into being a different person, that really naturally, without even realizing it, that's what we as humans do. We mm-hmm. kind of put on a mask 
put on a costume so we can play a part in this life. And it may not be exactly who we really are. And so because we deal with shame, again, I, you know, I love, I think it's Brene Brown's definition of shame, like guilt is feeling that you have done something wrong, whereas shame is feeling that you are wrong. Like there's something flawed about you that if people found out, um, they wouldn't love and accept you in the same way. Like that's, that's the definition of shame. So what he would say is we all have that, right? There are all shameful aspects of us that we'd rather cover up and not talk about. And, and so I remember at that same time, my professor talking about the masks of shame. He said, here are the big four. These are the four ways where if you see these four things in your life, you know what's really at its root is shame. And I was like, please tell me, what are they? <laughs> and he said, number one, it's control. When you try and like have your arms around everything and control your life. Um, a, a lot of times I notice this in myself in a conversation. If there's something I feel shame about and the conversation is heading a certain way, I'm going to control that conversation and divert it a different direction because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to talk about my childhood or I, you know, I don't want to talk about that, that age of my life and what right. it was like to get married young or whatever. And you just divert the question. Um, but we try and control children. We try and control our lives, control the story of our lives on Instagram, right? Yep. How many things do we control? But control is one of the masks of shame. Um, he said another one is blame. We, we think if we can divert our flaws away from us and just blame other people for them, well, I'm that way because um, then no one will know, you know, we're really flawed and we're really broken. He said another one is denial, Anybody who says, oh, I don't deal with shame. He's like, oh, they absolutely deal with shame. <laughs> um, and and we, if we deny we have it, we actually do. And there was the word number four on paper, black and white, perfectionism. Mm. When we try and pretend like we're perfect and that we have it all together and we seamlessly spin all the plates and all the things are perfect, he would say – and this is, his name is Dr. Michael Gillern. Um, he would say that um, it really is shame that's at the core and that we cover it up with this persona of perfectionism. Because as long as you think I'm perfect and I'm this great mother and this amazing wife and, oh, well, you're a pastor at a church. So clearly you lead this, you know, you know you're on this higher moral ground or something. And, and if I can get other people to look at me and think that I'm perfect, um, then no one will ever question do you deep down inside feel like it's not, at times you are not enough? No one will ever ask me that question because they just assume I got it all together. And so you put on the mask of perfectionism and cover it all up. And so it was like right around that same time where my friend was talking to me, I'm learning this in school to help other people. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh man, I got some work to do um, and feeling deeply convicted about it. I realized like just how linked up this deal with perfectionism was and what was really at its core was me needing to come face to face with some shame that I was carrying around that, you know, if people see me fail, then maybe I won't be loved. Maybe I won't be accepted. Maybe people won't want to follow me or be my friend. Like all of those fears that we have, but we don't want to be honest and talk about. And so that's, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Oh, oh that was so good. So I took notes mm -hmm. for our listeners, and we will pop that up on our socials, the the four, what did you say, the four yes. masks of shame. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we'll have that. So that way, if for any of us who, like myself, wants a visual, visual of that, then you'll be able to find yeah. that on our socials. Because that was really good stuff. I was like, ooh, I had to move my notebook as she was talking and had to start <laughs> writing this down. But, you know, the consequence of my note taking is I can't really read everything I write. <laughs> So that's why I was like, that's okay, my handwriting. I'll double check I'm, with just Sarah. Just let me type it. I what can't she write. said. So you hit on something interesting, yeah. which I was kind of thinking about earlier as we're talking about this topic of perfection and social media. Yeah. That and I don't even know if I can phrase this as a question, but how do we balance that? Because I know I have been guilty of posting a picture of a soup I was making. And I cleared everything else off the counter oh, yeah. <laughs> and took a picture. And then in the corner of the picture, but I couldn't crop it that way because the soup was in the corner and I was being all artsy about it. There was still like junk on the counter. Mm -hmm. So I moved that stuff on the counter. And the process of this is so mindless to me now mm -hmm. that I just do it. Mm -hmm. And then the other day, Danica and Beckett were baking together and I snapped a picture of them and all I could see was clutter. And then I was like, nope, you're going to grow today. And so I posted it and yeah. I was just like, this is the reality of my life. You, I mean, you guys walked in my house today. Yeah. It's a ginormous mess. And I'm not saying it's always messy, but my filter has mm -hmm. been 
social media, I, mm-hmm. I want my kitchen to look clean. Mm-hmm. So go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's not helpful. I mean, it, it, honestly, here's where my mind keeps going. Like, again, as a mom, I am like, whew, these, these children being raised with this. And I'm already, you know, my son wants to be on social media and he's 14. He's not yet. Because I'm like, you're going to have about two years of coaching with me first on what it does to your brain. <laughs> oh, I was like, Mom, <laughs> you don't want to have a counselor pastor as a mother. You just <laughs> well, wait, if you have a class, I'll sign Danica up so that Caleb can have a friend as he goes. There you go. There you go. But I was talking to him. I said, you know, when I was back in middle school and you didn't get invited to the party, people maybe talked about it for an hour and then moved on. And now it lives forever and ever online mm-hmm. and you're constantly reminded and you see it in real time. Like right. you see in real time, oh, look at how clean Emily's kitchen is while you're surrounded by laundry and, you know, heaps of mess or, you know, look at where they are on vacation or look at the party they got invited to. And then you just sit there and and we wonder why anxiety and depression is off the charts. And I don't need to go into those studies, but there's plenty of studies to show that overall social media is not helping us. And so we, we know that, right? And it's it's hard to say we can change anything overnight other than doing exactly what you said. Just being like, I'm not going to be the person who perpetuates the problem, but I'm going to be a person who uses it in a way that's constructive. And so I think that's it. It's 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 people who have that power in their hands saying, what is, what is my vision for this tool, for social mm-hmm. media? What's my vision for that? Is it to show everybody how perfect of a life I have? Is it just to store memories for my family? Is it to encourage others? Is it to be honest? Um, and and I'm not perfect at that either. But, you know, over this last year, we've gone on a journey with my family, um, with my daughter being diagnosed type 1 diabetic, which I had no idea what that meant. I thought that meant eat better and, um, you know, exercise more. And what do you have to, like, pop a pill and take a shot every now and again? And what I didn't realize is... For type 1 diabetics, I mean, it's life-altering for the whole family. Like, all of a sudden, every moment of every day, your mind goes to, you know, is my child okay? Um, you know, are they too blood sugar too high, blood sugar too low? Do they need more insulin, less insulin? Do they need more sugar in their body? And I know for me, I, I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to help and encourage other people who may deal with children that have chronic illness to show yeah, it's not always smiles and happiness. Like sometimes it's really, really hard and to be honest about that journey. And so that looks different for everyone. Yeah. It looks different for everyone. But I think it's all of us collectively saying, what does it look like to be honest and have a vision for helping others and not perpetuating the problem when it comes to perfectionism online? Right. So like with that, um, it's interesting because we're ridiculously imperfect. Like my house is the same way, but my daughter, she's not necessarily on social media, mm-hmm. but she likes to look on Pinterest or whatever. Yeah. So it's the perfect pictures. Yeah. So then there's a lot of mom, like ours doesn't look like this. Like what's mm-hmm. wrong. And I internalize that mm-hmm. as shame. Like yeah. I'm realizing as you're talking, yeah. I'm like, okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a problem. <laughs> yeah. wearing that mask. Um, and so then it, because you internalize it Mm -hmm. and then i'm like wait she's only nine i know she's not trying to hurt Mm -hmm. me but that's a me issue not Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. but at the same time you know how do we teach them other than by doing Mm -hmm. that this is real life Mm -hmm. this behind the screen is not real life because they probably moved that pot and cleared off that <laughs> yeah, like, counter to take that they picture. <laughs> um, but behind them was the real life scene, yeah. right? And so I think the best we can do is just to be authentic and continue doing what we are. But how would you say then for other listeners maybe that are experiencing the same thing as me, feeling shameful? Um, so what has happened for me then in my perfectionism is I feel like it's I can't do enough. So I've just kind of got overwhelmed and quit, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So then I feel like all these things, because I'm going to fail at it, because I'm mm-hmm. already not doing good enough for my nine-year-old, mm-hmm. it's not going to be good enough for anybody else. So mm-hmm. I've stopped a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. And then that's just become this overwhelming weight. Yeah. Um. So for our listeners and for me, yeah. I guess I'm going to be selfish here. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say, like, what steps would one take mm-hmm. 
to kind of confront that shame that we might be feeling or, you know, the overwhelmingness Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And especially with younger kids, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, comparing and seeing if that that makes sense. Well, I, I would say this first and foremost with kids, right? Everything is an opportunity for conversation. Right. And so when they're like, well, mom, why does it look this way? Why do you think it looks that way? Talk to me. Do you think their kitchen always looks like that? No. Do you think their their kitchen ever looks like our kitchen? Well, yeah, I guess so. Well, then why do you think they posted the clean kitchen and not the dirty kitchen? Oh, because they want, you know what I mean? Like kids, kids are, they can think much deeper than we give them credit for. Right. And so I think all of those are opportunities to foster conversation with our kids instead of just saying, oh, that's fake. It's not real. Ask the questions to help them get to that because then they begin to learn and grow. And, and, uh, you know, you can parent out of perfectionism or you can parent out of mistakes and asking for forgiveness. And I've just chosen the latter. I know I can't be a perfect parent. I can't have the perfect home. I can't create the perfect Christmas day. I know I'm going to mess up. But what I've also decided is that if I can be really quick to forgive and admit where I've missed it, then my kids are probably going to learn how to be really quick to forgive Mm -hmm. and, and own their stuff and admit when they missed it. And so we are by no means a perfect family. Um, We're a very passionate family that gets it wrong all the time. But the one thing I will say um, that I love about my family is that everybody is very quick to say, I was so wrong. I'm so sorry. I own it. Will you forgive me? And now that came about not because I told my kids, you should say you're sorry, but because they saw mom not get it right so many times. And each time I didn't get it right, I'm just like, hey, Mommy's sorry. Will you forgive me? Right. And so it just creates this this humility. That's with kids. But with us, um, if we're talking about the idea of shame, like I guess I'll go back to I mentioned Brene Brown before. But, you know, she would mention, and I think it's true, that the way you overcome that is is she would say vulnerability, and I think it was her, right? Vulnerability mm-hmm. plus empathy equals diminished shame. And so when we are vulnerable, right? Because shame always wants us to hide out in the dark. Right. Shame will always cause you to withdraw from people. Isolate. Isolate. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, but when we do the opposite of isolate, we engage and we move in and we're vulnerable with, here's where I feel broken. Here's where I feel anxious. Here's where I feel like I'm a bad mom or I'm not you know, a great wife or I, I'm failing at my job or whatever it may be. And we're vulnerable about that we bring it into the light, then what that does is it sets the stage where somebody else can show you empathy, grace, mercy. Um, and that is that is like a healing balm to our soul. Because mm-hmm. now the thing that you were afraid of didn't happen. Like you were afraid that if I wasn't perfect, I would be rejected. But now you've openly said, hey, I'm not perfect. I messed up. And somebody did the exact opposite of what you were afraid would happen. Like they loved you and embraced you just the way you are. And when you do that over and over and over, shame begins to lose that grip on you because you recognize um, no matter how broken I am, and sometimes I'm going to say the wrong thing, and sometimes I'm going to hurt someone's feelings, and other times I'm going to let you down, and you're going to love me anyways. Wow. Okay, there's now breathing room in this marriage. There's now breathing room in this parent-child relationship or in this friendship. And and I don't have to be so scared anymore. Um but that's hard, right? Like you mentioned, did you mention that you just want to run away? Is that what you said? Like sometimes you, yeah, sure. I you just like that. I want to do nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, you, I think that's what you, you said. Do right? It's easier for overwhelming. It's easier just to down. do nothing. Yeah, like just let you know, throw all those papers on the counter in that bag, and that's put right. that bag over here in the in the yeah. closet, um, and do nothing yeah. because it's just easier, you know. And that to me, like that's you know, the counselor in me comes out. And I'm like, that's our anxiety response, right? So this is what I found personally in my in my life. I had this perfectionism problem. I found that at the root of it was all of the shame. Like, what if I'm not good enough for your standards? Will you still love me? Will you still accept me? And I, I was like, I can either A, live that way forever, um, or B, deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I chose option B, deal with it. Now this means that you have to live very vulnerably and you have to you know, own your stuff. And what that creates is a whole lot of anxiety. And all anxiety, the definition of anxiety is worry, stress, or fear. So people- Check, (laughs) check. 
<laughs> me too. So some people say, oh, I don't have anxiety. Usually, I, honestly, when, I, when I've counseled guys a lot more, they're like, I don't deal with anxiety. And I say to them, well, have you ever been worried? Yeah. Have you ever been afraid about something? Sure. Do you feel stressed out? Yeah. Well, that's anxiety. And the common response to anxiety we always hear about is fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to like go at it or I'm going to run away and not deal with it. But the, th- the one that we don't talk about a lot is the one in the middle. And that's when you want to do both things at the same time. And it's called freeze. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And when you want to... I'm frozen. Fight. <laughs> that deep freeze. Yes. I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. So that's I weird. haven't either. It's I when you want it. to do both things. You're like, the courage inside of me wants to like yes. face my fear. But at the same time, I just can't today. And so I'm going to run away. But I want to do both things at the same time. What it creates is this freeze response where you just feel like you can't do anything. And you feel stuck in life. Um and that's where you just recognize whatever of those three areas you're in, that's anxiety. And, and you're going to face it. If you're going to live a bold and courageous life and you're going to squeeze every last drop out of the life that God gave you, at some point, you're going to have to deal with anxiety. Right. You're going to have to face it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I just got to start chipping away at the size <laughs> block, which actually I was telling Emily before we started um, so my kids went back home with my mom mm-hmm. for the week because they're out of school. And that in itself just takes off because I know, okay, if I can tackle mm-hmm. this, I don't have any extra voices or hands, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But in the state that I'm in, um, it is. It's just too much. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, well, I'm not doing it right because it you know, it should be done this way or could be done this way. And so then we just don't complete it. It just doesn't get done. So I have tackled things the last two days and it mm-hmm. feels really good. Mm-hmm. So it feels freeing and it mm-hmm. feels like, okay, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I can start. Is it fighting? Yeah. Me- Fight, flight, or freeze. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'm, I'm thawing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm in the process of unthawing right no, now. It's I don't thawing. know. Isn't yeah. un- no because unthawing is freezing, right? Oh right, yeah. Okay, so I would be thawing. Because <laughs> listen, our, cra- our our listeners will correct oh, us. Yeah, they- <laughs> I had so many people tell us that it's not dear Annie after hearing our first episode. Yeah. I'm like, well, we corrected in the second episode, but it's not released yet. So <laughs> sorry. You know, and, and that you know that's our response. That's not how we typically deal with anxiety, but those are the responses to it. Mm-hmm. And I think you know trying to face anxiety head on and how do you overcome that? Or at least manage it, because sometimes, right. you know, there there's such a thing as you know, clinical, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, clinical anxiety that's just with people, mm-hmm. um, and so in some ways, like that's a tension to be managed, and learning those coping skills that are going to help you live um, a really fruitful life despite the challenges, despite the setbacks. Um, but there's also that anxiety, you know that we call state anxiety, which is anxiety in the moment because something happened, you know, you got the phone call or things didn't turn on as planned and, and trying to learn how to deal with that anxiety is, is kind of a different thing in the moment. But a lot of it starts with truth telling, right? Yeah. And, and that's, I would say how I've kind of circled around these three ideas is um, you got to speak truth to yourself because a lot of the, the, the shame that sits within us, and, and where, you know, my perfectionism drawed from is the fact that we just, we lie to ourselves every day. Well, I shouldn't say we, I lie to myself every day um, and, and speak to myself in a way that I would never say those things to someone else. Mm-hmm. I never hold someone else up to that standard that I hold myself to. And um, I just began to do the work within me. And, you know, a lot of that as a pastor, like I, I find a lot of life in scripture and I'd pull truth out of scripture um, from the Bible that I would apply to my life or, or just every time I would think a statement of, you know, you're not good enough, right? I'll just pull one out of my head. You have to almost like catch the thought, almost like you catch a baseball in the air mm-hmm. and, and just hold it out in front of you and, and just say, is that, but is that true? Is right. that true? And and if it's, yeah, there's that's true, then you got to go one path. But most of the time, you're like, no, that's not a true statement. So what is a true statement? 
You know, I'm struggling right now. I don't feel good enough. That doesn't mean that I'm not good enough or that I'm not loved right. or whatever that, you know, truthful statement is. And so there's they're speaking truth to ourselves to help us with anxiety. But then it's exactly what you two are doing. They're speaking truth and being truth tellers to each other. Because there are moments where um, I'm in some sort of shame spiral or just feeling really broken and defeated. And I go through all the motions of, um, you know, trying to speak truth to myself, trying to pray, um, trying to read scripture. And I still am just stuck and feeling terrible. And that's where we have the relationships around us. Um, I have one friend where I'll just pick up the phone. I'll be like, hey, just speak some truth to me. And she just knows. She's just going to start speaking truth over my life and reminding me of of what she sees in me and and that I'm, you know, I'm not a failure as a mom or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't beat myself up over X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. um, But truth tellers tell you the hard truth, too. Of like, yeah, yeah Sarah, you know what? <laughs> you did. You missed it there. And it's okay. You're still loved. You're still yeah. valued. But you probably need to go say you're sorry to your husband. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and that's important, yeah. right? Yeah. To oh, have absolutely. friends that will, like, if they're going to tell you the truth, that you open up your heart to to hear it all. Right. Because all of it makes us better. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> so uh, with all the self-work that you've done and obviously your education has had a big impact yeah. on the self-work and mm-hmm. your journey and everything. Do you easily see it in other people? The, the struggling with the perfectionism and then with, with that, do you ever just speak out and say, Hey, I've learned from this. I mean, because I know that's yeah. hard because with keeping your profession in mind and everything yeah. else, but is that something that you feel passionate about helping tear down those lies with other people or is it you tend to wait for people to come to you I tend to let people come to me I mean I I don't go around like analyzing people like oh I think you have a perfection problem or (laughs) you're really wrestling with some anxiety here and um but I also think when people open up their lives to you and are honest um that you can have discernment and wisdom into what's going on um and I think we all have that with different people in our lives we're you have that discernment and wisdom on, hey, have you thought about this? And you do a lot of question asking. You don't jump to assumptions, but you ask a lot of questions to try and get at the root of what's going on. But but how I've helped people, honestly, one of the ways is sharing my story. I think sometimes people just need to know they're not alone. Yeah. And and again, going back to that, you know, how do you overcome shame? It's one person being vulnerable and the other person responding with empathy. And you do that time and time and time again, and people realize like, oh, I, I can be honest with what's going on in my life. So my posture in response to people sharing their story with me and being vulnerable with me is I recognize how much courage that takes because it took so much courage for me to share. Um, and so it's being a safe person. So I, I'm always like, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for being honest with me. And my response is always empathy grace, mercy, like it's, you know, it's going to be okay. Because what people need in that moment is, is they really need that encouragement and they need that safe space. And and if it's appropriate, you know, I'll share my yeah. story. But, you know, C.S. Lewis once said, um, you know, when you found a friend, because you look at them and you say, you too, I thought I was the only one. And I, I think, you know, specifically for people in general, but women, especially, um, where I you you see themes of lots of shame, a lot of people dealing with debilitating anxiety, a lot of perfectionism, which has been like we talked about, only heightened in yeah. the generation mm-hmm. in which we we live, and especially moms raising kids. And at my core, I just think, how much better off would we be if people were honest and had a lot of other women in their life looking at them and saying, "Oh, you too? I mm-hmm. thought I was the only one." L- let's. Let's get through this together, right? That's why we weren't ever created to live life alone and in isolation, whether that's because of we don't have people around us or we can also be totally surrounded by people and still live our lives in isolation because we're playing the perfection game and not actually authentically opening ourselves up to people as to what's really going on, right? regardless of how many people are around you. So I have a question that's a little bit of a sidebar. Yeah. But yeah. just with your counseling background, because yeah. I'm so curious about this. I've 
been to many different counselors throughout the course of my life mm-hmm. and some great, some not so great, <laughs> but uh, keeping that lens on in mind, I've thought about what it, that would be an interesting career path. So I know multiple times I've come to you through tears and you've talked to me through whatever scenario I know Kelsey has mm-hmm. as well, because Sarah's not only a dear friend, but she just knows all the things, which hence why we she's our first official guest. <laughs> <laughs> you, But you just, you have sharpened me in so many mm, ways and you. Kelsey and us and our mm-hmm. relationships, our marriages, like you're just... You're just wonderful, and we love you. But oh, thank you. that's not love my question, because <laughs> that wasn't really a question. But when you hear all the hurts from people and walking mm-hmm. them through it or just providing that mm-hmm. empathy and the listening in the safe place, mm-hmm. how does that – how do you go home with that? Like, does that mm. – like, let's say you saw 10 clients or five clients in a day, mm-hmm. and all were dealing with different aspects of yeah. just really heavy stuff – how do you, do you just slough that off at night? <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm genuinely mm. curious because I've thought about that before mm-hmm. that what it, wh- how, how does one handle when you hear all that heavy stuff? Yeah, it's, it's a great question and it's not easy. I mean, you know, sitting in a counseling chair, you know, eight, 10 hours a day and, and pastoring in a church, you, you hear really heartbreaking, traumatic stories. And you sit with people in their pain and you empathize with them in their pain. And so, you know, in in school, you actually take a course called vicarious trauma. And it's learning about, or secondary trauma, they'll call it. And it's learning about how you as the counselor can actually take on the trauma of someone else, even though you did not go through it yourself just by hearing the story. Yeah. So that's why, you know, self-care is important. I, I just recognize, like, here's how many clients I could see in a week. Pastoring is a little bit different because you don't, you know, <laughs> you never turn people away, right? Yeah. So you don't get that option. Um, but but you're just really aware of it. And and that's why, you know, I, I say to everybody, you know, every, every, every pastor needs a pastor, mm-hmm. um, you know, me being in that profession. But in counseling in school, in grad school, they'll teach you every counselor should have a counselor. And that you actually have an ethical obligation to have that person in place. And so I've been very open um, really seeking to take the stigma away because sometimes people think you only get a counselor if if you're weak or you're needy, and that's not right. that's not true. I'm like, do you get an oil change in your car? So yeah, yeah, you should probably go talk to someone about your marriage every five to ten years. You know, <laughs> um, these are the things that make us sharper. So vicarious or secondary trauma is real. I had multiple points where you know I would just carry these stories and just break down in tears, and that's where I'm gonna run myself a bath and watch a funny show or pray or call a friend, do the things I know I need to do to care for my own soul. Cause I know that I, I can't give away what I don't have. Mm, and yeah. if I'm operating from a place of brokenness and pain um, and, and I'm, you know, not ready to go, like that's just what's going to spill out of me. So I have to, as I pour out into other people, I have to find the things that replenish my soul as well. That's my obligation so I can care for people the best. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's easy. (laughs) It's really not. Gosh, I feel like it just, I mean, we've had conversations before where they're so deep and so good, Mm -hmm. but we walk away feeling like, oh, and I'm leaning back in my chair now. But just you you feel so kind of depleted, almost like you ran a marathon and clearly Mm -hmm. I'm a runner. So (laughs) that makes sense. But just like a a really hard workout or something like a really Mm -hmm. good cry. And maybe you didn't even go through any of those emotions, but Mm -hmm. that's physically how it feels. And so you're saying to pair that with good self-care and knowing what works for you as far as self-care goes, because one, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. You know, self-care, it's a interesting word for me because it's thrown around a lot, right? And so I I don't love the word self-care because people have made it very selfish of like, Mm. no, I don't have time to serve or help or no, I don't have time for you because I have to practice self-care. And self-care turns into, um, I'm just going to hang out my house seven nights a week and live my best life. (laughs) That's like, like that, that's the extreme end. Right. Um, but if we're not careful, like we can all go that way. Um, and so I just, you know, I really call it soul care. Like 
all of who you are, caring for yourself spiritually, caring for yourself emotionally, caring for yourself physically, and caring for yourself relationally. There are four quadrants of our life, and we have to care for ourselves in all areas and seek health in all areas, because even hurting in one will deplete the other three buckets so easily. But making a deposit into one will will fill your cup up in all of those buckets as well. And so this idea of soul care is just recognizing, like, Am I hurting relationally? What can I do to invest in that area? You know, am I hurting spiritually? What can I do to invest in that area? Um, is something going on physically in my body? What can I do to rejuvenate that area and seek health in that area? Um, and the difference, I think, between self-care and soul care is self-care is all about, you know, I want to be healthy for me. But soul care is much more about I want to be healthy for me but also so I have something to give away to other people. Yeah. And that's my vision for self-care. It's like, I, I'm doing this not just so I can live my best life and achieve and you know become 80 and be like, look at the perfect life I live that was all about me. But I'm like, no, I want to be healthy so I can be the best mom. I want to be healthy so I can have a great marriage. I want to be healthy so I can pour into the people in my church and give myself away you know, freely and from a place of health. But that does take you know, a couple times of saying no to some things so that I can, you know, walk around nature by myself because I'm an introvert. <laughs> and 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 sometimes that means sitting down with a counselor or with a friend and processing through some of the trauma that I've taken on just in hearing other people's stories and being like, oh, you know, all those fears you've heard from the stories, that's that's impacting your parenting because now you're putting those fears onto your kids and mm. that's not okay. Yeah, you know, and I just, right. I have to be really aware of when I'm doing that. I think this is where like talking, the communication is so important because you internalize all that and like inside you're having these conversations. But then I don't think you even realize until you say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I'm yeah. doing. Like you don't. Mm-hmm. It's just become a normal part of your everyday or your reactions to things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a form of denial, possibly too. But when you say it out loud, you're like oh my gosh, like this is something I need to pay attention to and take note of. And that is, it's actually, you bring up a great point. Saying it out loud of what's going on in your life is huge because we don't recognize that we're telling ourselves half truths or even lying to ourselves. We don't because it's so second nature. Those like neural pathways have been built in our brain and we just think these thoughts that aren't true and we don't even realize we're doing it. And then something changes when you give voice to it and you speak that out loud and it, it kind of moves from your unconscious to conscious and you're like, whoa, oh, do I, do I really believe that I'm, you know, too much for people? Do I really believe that I'm not enough for people? Um, do I really believe that I'll live in fear for the rest of my life? Do I really feel like I'm not lovable? Like w- when we give voice to those lies that we tell ourselves out loud, Something changes because now it's in our conscious. Now we have to deal with it. Um, And you're actually, like I said, like catching that baseball, you're actually able to hold that out in front of you. The thing that you just said out loud and say, is that really true? And then call it what it is. And call it what it is. And then if you have the courage to talk about it with others, like you mentioned, Uh then they can put their perspective on it. That's right. And then you're like, wow, Mm -hmm. I'm not alone is one big thing that I've learned and come to see. Mm -hmm. And another is they can speak that truth into you. Mm -hmm. Like Kelsey that's mm-hmm. why are you beating yourself up about that? Like mm-hmm. that's you, you know, and you're just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's just so much power in. Yeah. And telling your story or talking, having the conversation with somebody mm-hmm. that you trust. Yeah. Cause encouragement is the greatest gift we can give, give yeah. each other. I mean, encouragement literally means to give courage to. And so there are some times where, you know, like we mentioned, I'm a pastor, so I do a lot of speaking and, um, and I'll teach on a Sunday morning. And, and that in and of itself is is you have to be really vulnerable because you're getting up in front of a lot of people and you're sharing places of your life and trying to be authentic and vulnerable. And you kind of put yourself out there to a bunch of people and you're like, what are they going to do with my story? You know, and and so sometimes you like Jake and I, my husband, we'll, we'll come home on a Sunday and we'll be like, you know, was was that OK? And And we're not perfect. And so. We're like, oh, I really feel like I put myself out there. Um, I wonder how that would land on people. And or, or you walk away and you think, well, I didn't do a good enough job. Or, you know, all those fears are real because we're human. And 
And then when a person comes along and is like, thank you for being honest in that area. I just needed to know I wasn't alone. Or thank you for speaking that truth. That was really changing. I always say, thank you for the gift of encouragement. Thank you for encouraging me. Because it can go so long into, you know, or so deep into people's story and helping them to know, you know, you're not alone in that and you're okay. So we got to get busy and give encourage away, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so special. And I think that's a good transition point for us. I, I really feel like we could sit here all afternoon and pick your brain about so many things and even just uh, as maybe we can have you on again at some point, but I know just uh, her, she has some fun stories of being a mom. And I think of like all the Caleb stories because he's really into science and yes. just, uh, I feel like she just is a wealth of knowledge and has so many fun stories that are just, you're, you're just so authentically you. And it's oh, wonderful. Uh, before we move to our little wrap up part, is there anything else that, uh, that, you know, we obviously talked about a lot with this overarching theme of perfectionists. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else that you would have just want to leave with people? Or if they had one takeaway from, you know, all the background that you do have and education with that in mind, is there something that you would just like to, a thought that they could hold on to? My encouragement really is, is if you are withdrawing and isolating from who you are called to be because of fear, because of perfectionism, because of those lies of feeling like you're not good enough to step forward, bring whatever's in the dark into the light, get some good people around you that will speak truth into your life. Um, There is no stigma in counseling. I know we talked about some deep counseling issues today of anxiety and shame, and those are always really touchy and they don't always land on people well. And so there's, there's no shame in seeking help. You know, you guys joked about being hot messes earlier, but I would say like, and I hear a lot of women say that and it's great. It's owning our imperfection, but you're not a hot mess. You're just human. (laughs) You're just human. And so there's just that encouragement to know that you're not alone. Like we're all human trying to figure this out, you know, to the best of our ability and no one's ever going to get it right. So we got to be gracious with ourselves and really gracious with other people. Good. All right. Well, so let's move into our, uh, we still need to name it because it's morphed from like rapid fire questions to they're not really rapid. And then (laughs) we need a name for it. So just, I don't even know. I can't say trivia time. That's not what it is. Get to know us better. (laughs) Get to know us better. And our guest. Um, Okay, so first one today is, we'll start with you, Sarah. Yes. What is your dream job? Honestly, I'm in my dream job. I love, I love what I do. I love the people that I do it with. Um, I don't know. I just, I think there's maybe no better way I could spend my life than for me helping point people to Jesus and helping them, you know, squeeze every drop of God-given potential and calling out of their life and getting to love on people all day. Like, I love it. I will say, though, if I didn't have that call in my life and I could pick a different job, just like a fun dream job, I would love to be a travel blogger because I love to travel. Oh, so yeah. that's like my my secret envy job. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, how do I do that? Travel to all the countries, eat all the food, yes. see all the sites. Yep. Be, be sponsored amazing. by somebody so that yeah, you don't and have somebody to put pay the bill. me to do it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That please. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So mine, I have I have two because I really can't decide, and this will not be shocking to either of you, but people listening might be like, this makes no sense. So the number one would be be a cast member or writer on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. I, have, I see I that. I grew up with SNL, uh, and I had to watch it discreetly because I wasn't SNL, really allowed are to you watch listening? it. <laughs> <laughs> Talking She's to really you, Lauren. good. <laughs> Lauren, so give her I, a call. <laughs> I have multiple times uh, like looked up how to submit scripts, and then they don't actually get, uh, take submissions anymore. Oh, no because, way. Uh, I think because they were getting more than likely flooded with them. Sure. And then there's a whole piece of ownership. And then if you submit it to them, and then you're probably yeah. not going to be compensated because you've given it away, that sort of thing. I don't know. But I just had so many ideas. And I always tell Jacob, like, that could be an SNL skit. That could be that. I probably say it too much. But love, love, love it. And then if it wasn't that, and I've actually looked into this more recently, I would love to be a funeral director dash mortician. So that would just – I would love that. And I – no, that May sounds so why? dark and weird. <laughs> I 
that could be a whole yeah. podcast episode <laughs> in probably, itself. Yeah. Um, it, I'm fascinated by the human body. Sure. Absolutely fascinated. And uh, just walking through a lot of death yeah. growing up, uh, I developed a comfort level of talking people through grief. Mm. And I've had multiple situations in my life where I've sat down with people grieving, my family included, Mm -hmm. and I'm able to help steer the conversation and navigate what's next and execute the plan and do all those things. And so that would probably be more of like the funeral director side, but I'm just so fascinated by cadavers. Like that's just, I'm I'm weird. But I did this quick little, you're going to be in medical school camp when I was in high school and went down to Texas for it. And we got to, I almost said play with cadavers. We weren't like playing with them. I was just so fascinated. It was, uh, and the smell of formaldehyde. I don't know. Just I should probably stop. <laughs> we could team up. I, I'll 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 do the funerals and yes. and um, we, yeah, bring the words of comfort. And you can do the rest. Yes. <laughs> and did we figure out like if in Colorado you don't even have to be licensed or something? Oh yeah, we did figure right? that out. Yeah, so I wouldn't even have to go through the school because you know okay. you're a very you're the most educated person sitting in this room, <laughs> and the thought of going back to school just cripples me. And so in Kansas. I would have to go through sure. an apprenticeship and training and school and all of that. And then I was kind of like, this is going to sound super lazy, but I'm like, uh, I don't know that I want to tap into that just yet. Maybe later. But for now, I want to get into the creative stuff, which is the podcast. Yeah. So okay. what about you? What's your dream um, job? Interior decorating. Uh, yeah, I guess I knew that. Yeah. We want to come to my house. <laughs> sure. I'd love to. I've always wanted to do like, not professional by any means, but I love even just like going in and helping a friend. And I've done that before. Yeah. Um, Allie <laughs> and using what they have and just creating different ways to display mm-hmm. it. And just like, I never thought about that. Yeah. Um, I just love that. So, yeah. Yeah. You are very good at that. Thank I you. almost always, if I have a question in my house about something, I'll text her or call her and be like, what do you think? And then she will be that truth bomb friend. That's like, that doesn't, no. Yeah. <laughs> so like, just don't. Thank you. I don't I don't know. This isn't my cup of tea. Uh yeah. So okay. Second question is bath or shower? Shower for me. I because I, my bath is does not hold enough water. It's a long story. Mind you, I don't have I enough, learned the hard My hot water time. heater won't heat fill the whole thing. So like halfway it's warm and then above that it just turns cold and I'm out. This is like a shallow one and the overflow thing. So if you put enough water in it to like really soak, it's just draining the whole time oh, and no. makes that is something. Yours yeah. is the biggest bathtub I've ever seen. Oh, I don't even consider that a bathtub. Oh, okay. That's like a swimming pool. It's almost. like a four or five person bathtub. Not sure what happened in your house before you bought it, but <laughs> oh. it's ginormous. Uh, but okay, we, but wow. I see. ever attempted one time, my poor husband, he tried to be so sweet and romantic and put the candles out and flowers, all the things and filled it up and then, you know, surprises me and it, same thing, the hot water heater. It would not, because it doesn't have a heating element in the actual tub. Yeah. It was cold. And it, it, I finally am like, I can't do I this can't anymore. Do this. <laughs> I crawled. I had to get out. It's just, and we have never put water in it since. Oh, my when my kids oh, were no. tiny, I'd throw toys in there and they would play in there. It's like it a was a good pen. little playpen. Yeah. While we go. were, you know, taking a shower, getting ready for the yeah. morning or whatever. Worked good. But eventually I want to rip that thing out and yeah. utilize the space because it's yeah. just so big. It yeah. Yeah, I get the, I have to get my kettle from my kitchen and I, <laughs> it's so silly. I bring it up to my bathroom and I like fill up the kettle, let it boil, pour it in until yeah. I can get enough hot water. I should just figure out what the issue is. So all that to say, I don't take a lot of baths. I, I take showers, but I like my showers piping hot. Me too. Like Ooh. burn my skin off. It's my favorite. Oh, I cannot do that. Oh yeah. And I feel like, and it's probably my asthma speaking, but if I'm our shower in our house now is an actual like steam shower and it sounds really fancy. It's from the eighties and I, it is dripping rust. So it's not fancy, but I don't like taking showers in general. Like I'm a bath person, even in the summer. I know that sounds strange, but I feel like I'm suffocating if there's too much steam and heat. And if the water's too hot on my skin, so many really layers, like I can't, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's like a tactile thing, but I, it's truly like, I feel like I'm, <gasps> And I've I've never been in a steam room where I stayed longer than a minute because I just feel like I'm dying, like an elephant sitting on my chest. I don't know. It's probably mental, though. <laughs> um, okay. And last is favorite holiday. Oh, I got to go Christmas. I love I love Christmas. I just love everything about it. 
And I, I try. So every year, I'm one of those where Christmas decorations do not come out till after Thanksgiving. Is that you? It is me, but I know you walked in and probably saw I, them. I did. But, I saw yeah. a few. Like, you're getting ready. Yeah. So I started, this is the first year I started early because the weather's been so warm. Yes. And I, every year, I just buy more lights because my husband wants nothing to do with it. He's just like, because he thinks he has to hang the lights. I'm like, no, oh. I'll hang the thousands of lights. I just want the whole yard lit. Oh. And so I have been working on it every day. I just go out and I do a tree, but I will not turn them on until after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Okay. So I told my kids yeah. there'll be a big unveiling Thanksgiving night. Yes. Oh, yeah. so exciting. Christmas is mine too. Yeah. Hands down. Probably half of my basement is Christmas decorations. <laughs> That's a problem. So, mine is Halloween. I knew you were going to say that! It <laughs> <laughs> goes along with the, you know. Yeah, the, we have a theme here. The theme, the day, right <laughs> I live for Halloween, and I do feel like... And dad, you know this, this is if you ever listen to this, but I was not allowed to trick or treat as a child. Oh. And I, so we're going to uncover some damage here, but I wasn't allowed to do that. And then when we could go, it was to these very specific houses, which that to me is more of like a safety thing, hopefully. But then when I could dress up for school and our parade, I had to be a character out of the Bible. That was it. We had a few years like that too. I was. I can't remember yeah. if it was me or my brother or sister. I can't remember. I'll have to ask them. But one year... One or all of us were dressed up as a present, like a gift. And my mom said, it's because we were a gift from God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we just had great Halloween. Yes. We had great Halloween costumes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny. I was Queen Esther for as many years as this dress fit me, which Yeah, we did that a lot she, of repeating. Yes. I was telling my kids this year, I can't remember a year where we like went out and bought a costume. Oh, yeah. And that every year we my kids are like, ours. I think oh, did we you? always made yeah. them. Mm-hmm. I, we, yeah, is this so our families or is this being raised in the same generation? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Midwest. Yeah, I Midwest. Know, like, yeah. idiot Midwest that, in the 80s. In the yes. Exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. And it just, I remember the first time I actually went trick-or-treating, I was in high school and I told my dad I was going to go and he kind of, hmm. And, uh, yeah, so then I, I always felt like I wasn't allowed as a Christian sure. to love Halloween. And, again, sorry, Dad, you, I don't think he explicitly said those words, but that was just, you know, me internalizing yeah. my yeah. – the disapproval of, yeah. of all of that. And so when I meet Jacob and I'm like, I love Halloween. I've been dressing up every Halloween since I met him. I did at work when I worked corporate world. I just – I didn't even care. I, <laughs> I will dress up. I as whatever, except for the year that I dressed up as a deviled egg and I had like a devil horn on and then I wore a white costume with a yellow circle on my stomach. Everyone thought I was a cow and I was called a cow all day long. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I'll never be a deviled egg again. This was a terrible costume choice. Okay, so best costume though. Ooh, Um, I feel like mine last year. So Jacob was Elf from the movie Elf and I was the raccoon that attacks him. And that, like, describes our marriage in general anyway. But I feel like that was my favorite costume that I've ever done and that we've also done together. That's so, awesome. Yeah. What about your favorite yeah. costumes? Now that we're talking I'm about my favorite on Halloween. <laughs> I had to go out of my comfort zone this year because my our kids love it and they wanted to decorate the yard. Oh, so God. we had to get out a web, spider web. That's what we put out. <laughs> and my husband helped them create some tombstones and they made a little graveyard. That's about it. I don't um, know. I've never dressed up. I should, but I just always get so busy. And then I'm like, it's just enough for me to like get costumes on my kids. Yeah. And I'm like, that's all the time I got for this. But my favorite kid costume was, are you asking me or the kids? Favorite costume? Well, yours. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, kids, I don't but know. my favorite was the year my son couldn't decide if he wanted to be a paleontologist or a dinosaur. <laughs> so he dressed up as a paleontologist dinosaur. Like he wore the dinosaur costume with the paleontologist costume over the top of it. That's so great. great. Or he was a scuba diver one year and we lived in a 40 story high rise. So there's nowhere to spray paint tanks oh. and fins because you can't spray paint inside. So we like broke into the public park in the middle of the night in the darkness with, with cans of spray oh, paint my goodness. and cardboard boxes to spray paint his like fake oxygen tubes and his fake fins and I'm like literally having my eight-year-old son keep watch because they're gonna think I was graffiti and I'm not I'm like I'm a responsible mother just trying to raise my kids in an apartment and (laughs) need to spray paint a Halloween costume but I promise I'm a graffiti nothing (laughs) 
That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Okay. That was a lot of fun. That was so fun. Uh, so we, I, I guess that's really all our time we have yeah. for today. Thank you so much, yeah, Sarah, for, for me. sitting Thank down and chatting. Wonderful. And I feel like this is just g- good soul food. And yes. I needed to hear a lot of that. So. Well, thanks for having me. I love it. Yes. Love so we, we, our guys decided that they wanted to say our tagline. And so I think we'll just have you say it. And so it's until next time, keep it ridiculously imperfect. So can you say that for us? Until next time, keep it ridiculously imperfect. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) Bye, friends. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Ridiculously Imperfect. You can find us on Facebook at Ridiculously Imperfect, on Instagram at Ridiculously Imperfect Podcast, or at RidiculouslyImperfect.com. This podcast is produced by Emily Eaton and Kelsey Foster. Our sound engineer is Isaac Moreno with Kingdom Come Studios. Until next time, keep keep it ridiculously ridiculously imperfect. imperfect.